Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. Recently, the Commonwealth Fund examined the extent to which people with moderate incomes in employer health plans face high premium and deductible costs relative to their income. To discuss the results of this study and the implications for policyholders going forward, I'm joined by Sarah Collins, Vice President of Healthcare Coverage and Access at the Commonwealth Fund. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. So, Sarah, why don't you start out by telling us why you initiated this study and what you were looking for? Well, employer health coverage is really the backbone of the U.S. health insurance system. More than half the population of the United States, about 160 million people, um, get their coverage through an employer. So the purpose of this study was to look at trends over the last decade in the amount that workers and their families are paying for their employer health insurance and the size of their deductibles in all 50 states um, and the District of Columbia. And we compared these worker costs to median income in each state in order to get a sense of the economic burden of these costs on middle-income families. And how did you go about conducting the research? Well, we've been conducting the study nearly every year since 2010 um, using the latest data um, from what's known as the insurance component federal medical medical expenditure panel survey. Um, This survey is the most comprehensive national survey of U.S. employer health plans. Um, In 2019, um, which is the latest year of data that's available, um, this survey interviewed more than 40,000 business establishments um, with an overall response rate of 59%. um, We computed from this survey reported statewide average premiums. So we take the premiums reported by by business establishments and average them across the state. And we do the same for deductibles. And then we compared those averages to the median income in each state. So this provides a rough measure of the affordability and protectiveness of employer coverage and allows us to track changes over time. And what did you find after you conducted this study? We found that premium contributions and deductibles in employer plans took up a growing share of workers' incomes over the past decade. Those costs together, so premium contributions and deductibles, accounted for 11.5% of median median household income in 2019. This is up from about 9.1% a decade earlier. This cost burden in employer health plans has increased over the past decade because cumulative growth in median income has been slower than growth in premium contributions and deductibles. We also find that these contributions, premium contributions and deductibles, as well as median income, vary considerably across the country. The total cost of premiums and deductibles across single and family policies ranged from a low of about $5,500 in Hawaii to a high of more than $8,500 in nine states. 
median income ranged from a low of about 49000 in Mississippi and New Mexico to highs of around 90000 or more in Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Hampshire, and New Jersey. What workers pay towards their premiums and their deductibles comprised about 10% or more of median income in 37 states in 2010. In 2019, this is up from about 10 states um, in 2010. In nine states, workers' combined costs were 14% or more of median income. Workers in New Mexico and Louisiana faced the highest potential cost relative to their income, more than 17%. And we we also find that people living in states that have lower median incomes, um, like New Mexico, are doubly burdened. On average, workers in states where the median income is lower than the national median income face higher premiums and deductibles compared to people in states with higher median incomes. We also find that many people in employer plans across the country are underinsured um, because their deductibles are high relative to their incomes. The Commonwealth Fund has found that insured people who have high out-of-pocket costs and deductibles relative to their income are more likely to face problems accessing care or paying medical bills um, than people who um, are not underinsured. We've We've defined someone with insurance as underinsured if their health plan's deductibles deductible equals about 5% or more of income or if their out-of-pocket costs reach similar thresholds. In this study, across the country, many people in employer plans are underinsured by this measure. Average deductibles relative to median income were 5% or more in 20 states and ranged as high as 7% in in New Mexico. So the the billboard is that we've lost some ground over the last 10 years as it relates to uh, the ratio of income to affordability. That's right. And it has climbed, it climbed steadily for a few years, and it's actually, that ratio has actually been flat. So it hasn't, it hasn't worsened significantly over the last couple of years, but it also hasn't gotten, hasn't improved. And what impact will the coronavirus pandemic and the associated recession likely have on income and healthcare costs going forward? Well, first, we know now that the ongoing economic effects of the pandemic are depressing U.S. income growth. So this means that even if premium contributions and deductibles in employer plans don't change, let's just say they stay flat um, in 2020, they could still take up a larger share of workers' incomes in 2020 and 2021. The pandemic's effects on actual premiums, um, premium contributions and deductibles, is uncertain. both of these, both premiums and deductibles, are driven by trends in healthcare costs. So those are the primary determinant. Overall spending determines um, how much premiums and deductibles grow over a year. In the past year, we've seen both spikes in healthcare spending um, from COVID-19 hospitalizations. Um, in some states, obviously, um, just huge issues right now, particularly in California. But we've also seen deep drops in spending from declines in elective surgery and other non-urgent care. People are just going to the doctor less um, because of the um, because of the pandemic. And the net effect um, appears to be lower overall spending and higher profits for insurance companies. Um, 
But because the Affordable Care Act requires insurers to return their excess profits to employers and their workers, um, it's called the um, medical loss ratio requirement, this could mean lower premiums in 2021 if insurers anticipate that these trends are going to continue. Just looking at an analysis of rate filings in the ACA marketplaces for the 2021 plan year gives some clues as to what we might see um, in the employer group market. But this analysis found that some insurers increased premiums for this plan year in anticipation of higher COVID-related costs, while others decreased premiums because they anticipate ongoing lower health care use. Just under half of plans that cited COVID in their rate filings as, a, as, a, as driving their premiums either viewed the countervailing effects of sp on spending um, increases because of COVID or decreases because of underutilization as a wash um, or noted that the effects were just too uncertain to have an impact on their premiums. In the employer market, even if premium contributions and deductibles fall, remain unchanged or grow more slowly, incomes could fall or grow more slowly, leaving household cost burdens unchanged or even higher. So we really won't know the full impact of COVID on the economic burden of healthcare costs on workers until we have 2020 and 2021 data. Sarah, what do you think um, the findings of this study mean for healthcare policy moving forward? Well, the good thing is um, the ACA provides some cost protection to people with employer coverage and high cost plans. Um, first, um, people with low incomes, um, less than about 17,000 for an individual are eligible for Medicaid in the 38 states and D.C. that have expanded eligibility under the Affordable Care Act. This is true regardless of whether or not they're offered a plan through their job. So you can be offered a plan through your job um, and still be eligible. Your income still makes you eligible for, um, for Medicaid if your state expanded. People enrolled in Medicaid pay no premiums or cost sharing or over only very limited amounts. Second, people with employer premium costs that exceed 9.8% of their income are eligible for marketplace subsidies, so ACA, the ACA marketplaces. This means they can buy a plan through the ACA marketplaces and receive subsidies if their income is less than about 51000 for an individual and their health plan meets that threshold of affordability in their, in their, in the, for their employer. This triggers a federal tax penalty um, for their employers. This is the employer mandate. The penalty is also triggered if the actuarial value of their plan is less than 60%, meaning that it covers less than 60% of their costs. So they'd have really high deductibles and out-of-pocket costs. But there's a catch. These provisions only apply to single-person policies, which has left many middle-income families caught in what's known as the family coverage glitch. They have an expensive family plan, but they don't qualify for marketplace subsidies. The data in this report show that the average employee contribution to a family plan was 10% or more of median income in eight states in 2019, so technically above that 9.8% threshold um, um, in, that, that allows someone to become eligible for a single, at least if their single plan, their single plan costs are higher. President-elect Biden and members of Congress have proposed fixing this family coverage glitch, um, so making it apply to family family plans, making that threshold apply to all family plans. 
They can do that either administratively, um, so President-elect Biden can probably make a, make a change through the rulemaking process, or Congress um, could, could pass legislation that would, that would fix that. could also ease ACA restrictions um, to give people more people in employer plans a choice of enrolling in a plan offered through the marketplace. So right now there's what's known as a firewall. If you're offered an affordable plan um, by your employer, um, you're not eligible for subsidies um, through the marketplaces. And so there's been some discussion, including President-elect Biden's um, health plan proposals when he was a candidate, um, to lower that um, firewall or, or make changes in the firewall just to make it easier for people to access um, what could potentially be lower, lower premium plans. And they've also proposed enhancing marketplace premium and cost-sharing subsidies and extending them further up the income scale, which would provide even more um, relief both to people in marketplace plans right now, but also people in employer plans who become eligible for the subsidies. Finally, the 12 states that haven't expanded Medicaid are among those where workers are experiencing the highest cost burdens. Um, expanding Medicaid, if they, Texas and Florida are, are two examples of very large, heavily populated states that haven't expanded yet. So workers in those states with unaffordable plans um, can't enroll into Medicaid like they can in other states. So expanding Medicaid would provide a lot of relief um, to workers in those states. But clearly, the current COVID crisis um, in the non-expansion states and basically across the country might make it difficult for states to be able to pass legislation this, this year to, to do that. So in the absence of that, Congress could allow people who are eligible for Medicaid in those states to enroll in marketplace plans at zero premiums and to make it sort of equalize federal financing across the states because some states are currently have expanded and, and are paying that um, the, the shared fee, the cost of that with the federal government federal government could also increase the federal matching rates to those states um, just to equalize the federal federal support, um, particularly in light of the crisis, fiscal crisis a lot of states are facing right now. So these, even these relatively small changes, the family coverage glitch, um, enhancing marketplace and cost-sharing subsidies, and providing some kind of federal fallback option for people who are eligible for Medicaid and non-expansion states, could help millions of people that are struggling to afford their health care. Great insight, Sarah. And if someone wanted to read the detail of this study, where can they go? They can go to our website, the Commonwealth Fund, which is www.commonwealthfund.org. Sarah Collins, thank you for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.